Right, this was a really good chat with Ethan Bednash, who is a personal trainer, boxing coach, and he's working towards his master's in sports psychology. Um, and previously been a strength and conditioning coach at Crystal Palace. Um, Ethan, really nice to, to, to speak to you um, and great to hear that you're that you're doing still really active and doing loads of sessions through lockdown. It's interesting to hear how different personal trainers and coaches have, have taken to, um, to more one-to-ones and, and using space outside. Um, so thank you for your time. Look forward to catching up with you soon and um, looking forward to, to getting a session with you when, when gyms open back up. Starting work as a strength and conditioning coach, um, you learn a lot about the physical aspect of the sport. You learn all about speed, power, fitness. Um, that's essentially the majority of what you learn. Um, and there's so much to learn about that and it's all, it's very in depth, but you kind of stop there and then I was really interested in learning about the mind, about the, the, the personalities of players and what, what drive one player to be in the gym at eight o'clock every single morning, what drives another player to be late for that session and you have to go and ask them to come along to the gym session. What is the difference there? Um, and that's what I'm quite enjoying learning about, the, the mental side of the game. Um, also really interesting learning about what motivates and what drives and what blocks that general population from exercise. So you not you don't only learn about elite athletes, you learn about why people stay obese and why they find it hard to start exercise and why they find it hard to maintain exercise. So that bit's been really interesting as well. From my experience, clients don't really care about how much you know or how many degrees you've got or, or your experience. They, they, they wanna know that you care about them. So if, a lot of my clients will be definitely interested in my course, but most of them won't come to me because I've got a degree or because I'm doing this degree that they come to you because they like you as a person they've been recommended you by someone else and a lot of people find gyms really intimidating and uncomfortable and they find the the constant mirrors the the constant having to focus on your image and people looking at you or the perception of that uncomfortable so doing a one-on-one session in the park um, is often way more relaxing and more private so a lot of people just go actually I kind of want to do a park session and I wanted to do a bit of boxing, a bit of strength in the park without having to worry about lifting heavy weights and being observed or observing myself. I think I was 15 or 16. And I just went into the gym and did every single exercise in the gym, every single machine. Just did every single, like one set on every single one. And the next day, oh my God, I was in absolute pieces. <laughs> the three areas that my, I'm, I specialize in is strength and conditioning, because obviously I've worked on that in the past. Um, I worked with some incredible coaches. So I just like, stole everything they ever did i just used to go to them and say why did you do that and i'd love to learn how to do that and learning about how to program for a footballer so working with footballers is, is always great because i can get involved and get a ball involved and that's always really fun um doing the boxing is also fun my one of my close friends used to be a professional boxer um and i used to go train in his gym he had an amazing gym in finchley when i was about 15 16 when i just started going to the gym he said i'll come down to my boxing gym and it was this amazing gym it's now closed all wood everywhere, these old bags, um, just all loads of boxes on the bags doing pads. And I used to walk in and be like, this is just amazing. And I used to learn all how he used to do his pad work. Um, so I love doing pad work people. And then yeah, the basic strength elements, um, I, I love doing as well because people make such good progress from that, especially in a gym. I mean, outside a gym, you make slower progress because you've got smaller weights. But if you get someone in the gym who's never deadlifted before, 
you can get them deadlifting good weight in maybe six to eight week program. And that's just rewarding for everyone involved because people go, oh my God, I didn't realize I could lift 40, 50 kilograms and now I can. So that feeling is really good. So it'd probably be a combination of a football session in the morning, a strength, a conditioning session, and then a gym session afterwards in, in a really high tech gym with all the equipment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I've, I've realized why I'm struggling so much about the gym. And it's fundamentally because whatever else I have going on in my life, if there's areas that I'm like not excelling in, the like one area that I can guarantee I can make progress in is getting stronger. All I have to do is make sure I have a decent night's sleep and have a decent meal beforehand. And like, I will progress. And mm. that like steady, slow, incremental progressive overload is like, so I don't know, you just, I just, I take that feeling for granted so, so much. Mm. Um, and now that it's not there, you're just like, oh, when I used to work at gyms, I used to all just hang around until one of the trainers was free and said, okay, what are you doing? Let's just, let's do a, let's just make a session together. Um, that's the thing. I, I love doing my own sessions on my own, but whenever I train on my own, I want it to be in and out to 30, 40 minutes tops. When I'm training with someone else, I love to pick their brains and learn about what they love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you do like a weird session that you wouldn't have planned before you went. I quite like that sometimes. That's what I miss a lot. Just training with like other trainers and gyms or other people and sort of bouncing ideas of each other. For me, the, the assessments are really good, I think. When I was in my undergraduate, some assessments you do, you just wanna just do it and get out of the way and just tick it off. Um, we had a really good presentation to do over Zoom, which was different, really different. I never pre- presented over Zoom, but having good presentation skills and good communication skills is so important as a coach. Um, in my undergraduate, that helped me a lot learning how to speak to a group of people because then I can speak to one-on-one really clearly. So we had, to do, we had to write a lab report on some results that our lecturer gave us and then present it and sort of justify why we chose what we chose, um, which I thought was really good, really good practice. Um, we had one last week as well, a research methods proposal. The research methods is all um, how you design a study, which often goes on, you don't really think about when you're looking at when you're reading a research paper you might just read the abstract and the results and then the conclusion you go okay cool that's good you often might neglect the methods and what are the limitations of their methods and do they only have five people if they had five people why did they have five people and how did that change the results um so we had to write a research proposal um like any idea anything we wanted to choose what how we would do it why we would do it and the limitations and you go wow there's limitations to every single study like research is often more than just a headline so i always have a be my bonnet about newspapers and who just quote a research paper because then someone's saying oh this research paper is really cool i go well what happened in the study because even the best studies have limitations and that's going to happen so before we make a conclusion about it let's look at a lot of the research and obviously we can't all just sit here looking at research papers but it's good to be able to critically look at a paper and i thought thought this, that assessment was great so i'm finding assessments like pushing me and I'm genuinely going actually this is useful I feel like this is a really useful paper to do mm. um and the content's also just great it's, it's interesting learning about what what like I said earlier the motivations the block the blocks on for exercise and training so it's good how do you take maybe results in a study or any of the things that you've just said and make them relevant to clients that you're training or players that you're working with like what's that what's that process like yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good one, a good question. I think 
for someone more experienced than me, they probably have a way better answer. So for, for me, I'm quite inexperienced at this and just learning more about what research studies look like. You usually go with, it's hard, it's hard. You usually go with the major, what the majority of evidence suggests. So most evidence, you, you never really create a cause effect. It's usually X probably causes, uh, has a correlation with Y. There's an association between the two. So strength training has loads and loads of research showing its benefits on everything. Um, on all aspects of health. So that is very, very heavily researched. So you would usually go with that. Um, and with, again, it depends and also depends on what the client wants. If the client wants to lose weight, then you go for a calorie deficit because that's massively researched as well. Mm. For me, I usually go on things that have been researched and have been spoken about by other great trainers as well. Um, and you can, you can kind of go with the, with the trend of what most people think works, most scientists think works. I rarely just go with something that worked with just for me because that could have been a complete fluke. So I like to stick with the basics and stick with things that I know work based on the majority of research and what the majority of people out there are saying. Um, but then again, you might be doing, you might think, uh, I don't know, a single leg RDL is amazing for hamstring strength. Your client might absolutely hate it. Yeah. So then you have to go, okay, cool. What, what have I done in the past that they might like? <laughs> because that's also probably the most important thing that they're having a good time because you can put an amazing session on that you plan in your head which is perfect and they absolutely hate for the exercises you know they're not going to come back to you yeah so that's important uh, yeah that's like that adherence adherence principle of like if this isn't fun i'm not doing it you might be able to and it might even be that like with someone it might even be that they understand the benefits that they can they might even have experienced the benefits but they just hate it and if you hate something you're yeah yeah i learned i learned recently on the course actually we had a really interesting lecture about adherence and about how even if you're having fun there's loads of aspects that stop you from training if your gym is far away from you or if there's a, a a transport on the way there if you have to get in the car you're less likely to carry on doing it after adherence is six months so they, they call adherence six months if you do it for six months you've adhered to the, to the program so if you if you have to get in a car you're likely to stop if your spouse isn't as encouraging or isn't on isn't on the same page as you you're less likely to continue as well this is for mostly for general population right, right. so those things you take into account like often when i'm working, working with clients i always ask what their partner or their housemates what they do because that your environment massively influences you if you're in an environment where you and your housemate are cooking really well every night doing workouts twice a week you're going to continue doing it because it's just part of your environment so that's also really important when you speak to clients and when they ask what to train you have to look, understand about them as well and what, what, what's going on in their life. Yeah. No, massively. I think that, that six months period is, particularly at the moment, is such a, is such a weird one because, like, we, okay, locked down for a little bit, then came out and gyms, and that, the, the period that gyms were open was nowhere near six months, and then they shut again. And it's like, okay, building these habits, building new habits, building habits. Okay, gyms are open, see your family, mm -hmm. da, 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 da. gyms closed. Okay, lockdown. Okay however long it takes to build that habit again and it's been mm. so stop start so stop start and i i'll be so interested to see how some of the some of the like when people look back at this period or i don't know when studies are done on like you know fitness or whatever through through lockdown um or for, you know from march 29th from march 2020 to march 2021 mm. um like there's just going to be dips dips like it's going to be so so inconsistent i feel it's going to be really good for research yeah. really good like what what is it like yeah having having your environment changes you can't go out every night so do people have better eating habits drinking habits 
there's, there's a few of my uh, the guys in my course. We, we, we've also got a dissertation coming up, um, so it's going to have to be a dissertation done in the COVID era. And the people last year would have done dissertation. A lot of people are doing one. I know someone who's doing one on the effects of, of no crowds on on performance. Um, so that'd be really interesting. But I imagine that the uh, yeah, more research will be done in that area. Um, a completely different lifestyle. How does that affect X, Y, Z? That'd be really interesting. Mm. Uh, when we chatted before, you said that like one of the things that, that you enjoy most is working in like elite sport environments. And one of the reasons you're doing this course is to get like well, what back towards being back in those. Um, what what do you enjoy most about them? And I guess what do you miss now you're not in and around it more regularly? What it, what do I miss about elite elite environment? Yeah, and working with athletes on that level. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I Funny enough, I still don't really know what it looks like after this course and what what that looks like. But yeah, for sure, going back into elite environment is is on so many trainers and practitioners' list. Um, for me, the day to day and being part of something bigger than yourself is massive. Like when you watch your team on TV, you go, "Oh, I've got such a stake in this team winning. I really want them to do well." Because not only for me, because I know how it affects all of them individually. A lot of times you watch football and you go, like maybe does that player care if they lose? When you're when you're amongst it, you go, yes, it that it does matter to these players. Like they do want to win. Obviously, everyone's different. I can't speak for every player, but for the people I work with, um, so that having a stake in something bigger than yourself is massive. And also, just a day-to-day environment. Um, you hear players, you hear coaches always talk about the day-to-day environment, how it's. It's so good and enjoyable. It is that. It is you are. You do feel like you're involved in make loads of friends, and you're you're in this in this group every single day, and you're on this same journey together. Um, so I definitely miss that. That that was a, that was really really fun. Mm-hmm. What what's the relationship like between like a strength and conditioning coach and a first team coach, for example? The, the, the relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a it ha- it has to be positive, and from my experience, it always was. I from from what I saw and I mean people might disagree with me with this I I thought one needs both need each other as much as each other like the coaches need the SSC coaches because they keep the players fit they keep the players available so being available is like the most important thing an SSC coach can do I had a great coach who taught me that at Crystal Palace the head SSC coach I remember he said to me he said to me what do you think the most important thing about an SSC coach is I was like getting the players faster he goes no making them available all the manager wants is the players to be there and good and like in a good condition they don't have to be at the absolute peak they just got to be there and available um so that's the, a key role for the ssc coach and vice versa the ssc coaches need the coaches they don't want the coach they want the, they don't want the coaches to make the players run and run and run and overtrain because then they're more likely to get injured so there's just constant communication and it was all happening above me i was obviously i was an intern in, in the first team so i was learning from some of some of these great coaches and they would often speak for hours after training, after after I'd gone home, they'd speak about what players were doing here, and they had these amazing Excel spreadsheets on on the amount of amount of work they were doing, the amount of workload, um, just to make sure they were all all on this balance and the same page. So yeah, the the, the, the relationship has to be good, and from my experience, it, it was good majority of the time. Um, there's a, a couple of concepts I've been reading about recently. One is uh, like minimal effective volume which is basically like the, the the least amount of work that someone can do, but still progress. Mm-hmm. And then maximum recoverable volume, which is like the most someone can do, but then recover from in order to try and do it again. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, do, do those principles 
or sorry, do those concepts apply to a football environment or are there different terms, different things that you would think about in terms of those two ideas? Well, I think those two ideas, for me, when I was in the first team, that wasn't something I got involved in. That was something the, uh, the, the more experienced coaches would, would lead. Um, so I can't say for sure what they, those guys did. Um, but yeah, that, that is so important because essentially, like I mentioned earlier, the most important thing is getting on the pitch in good, in good nick or, and just being there on the pitch. If you're <laughs> training the next day and you've got incredible doms, you're not going to train well. You might not get picked to the managers and say, why is this guy so achy? So you do have to try and make gains without overdoing it, um, which is incredibly hard and incredibly, you have to, there's a small, you have to kind of figure out early on, you have to, in pre-season, you can sort of play around with loads and figure out where players are and then go from there. Um, but like I said, the guys above me would, would be massive in charge. I don't have a huge amount of experience um, in those two areas. Mm. Even just thinking about like someone being able to do their most in the gym and then do the most on the football pitch, like those two things are incompatible to me. Mm. Like, it, it, like if I think about the, if I think about like, I don't know, going into a gym and trying to squat or deadlift or bench or whatever, and then going onto a football pitch the next day and be like, right, okay, now I need to be able to run the hardest, sprint, turn, jump, do everything. Like there's no way that I'm going to be able to do my max in those two areas. Um, and obviously, look, I'm just a random person and elite athletes perform, recover in different ways. But that constant like doing and throwing and figuring out where they're going to push themselves and where they're going to recover must be so... Yeah, it's just it must just be constant. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you're right. But the main thing I'd say is what does like your max mean? Because like you said a second ago, you're right. You, do you need to go into the gym and do a one rep max on your squat every time or, or get 90, 95%? Probably not. Like you don't need to do that. You just need to be able to. Well, a lot of, a lot of strength trainers say that in season, it should be maintenance. So you don't, you, don't, you don't need to progress. You need to maintain. Other coaches say it's good. It's a perfect time to progress because you're, you've got them in. You've got these players in four times a week. Why not progress? Um, so that is important the ability to, to do a session without going to your max, like you just mentioned. Again, you're right. Players are elite athletes. We often forget how, how impressive they are. Mm. So I've seen them deadlift hundreds and then the next day they're on the pitch sprinting around. I'm thinking I'd be out for a week <laughs> massaging and <laughs> just using one of those <laughs> massage guns. And also they do get... Um, a lot of care, they get massage, ma masseurs, they get loads of pro, they get amazing nutrition. But then again, and they, it's also on them to, to get a lot of sleep and a lot of recovery at night. So yeah, they don't need to be doing, ma for my, in my opinion, massive max sessions in the gym, because you're right, minimal effective load, they can just progress doing the bare minimum to progress. Also they have to, and they do recover incredibly well. And they're elite athletes. They are different to how we are built. Um, those, those three things come into play to allow them to do three gym sessions a week and then train. Also, again, they, they adapt and their body just adapts to, to the level they're at. You know, they're not going to be massively adding on weight to their deadlift every single session. They're going to be a, f f 10 kilograms every single session onto their deadlift. It's going to be small gains. But those things help. Yeah. Um, I know you can't talk about individual players, but I wonder if there's any stories maybe about someone who was like maybe the most disciplined or the like what they did to be allow them to recover most um even, even ahead of ahead of their peers ahead of their their teammates well yeah i mean every player is different every player is different because 
some of the players that were were really really into the gym often yeah often might have found other areas difficult mm. whereas some players who found other areas easy or found their nutrition really really easy might have found the gym hard so everyone has different areas of of what they found easy and what they found hard um i never ever noticed any players who didn't do the most they could do because otherwise they wouldn't be at that level like at that at the top level i imagine in grassroots clubs you've probably got better there's probably way better stories <laughs> there'll be players that won't do anything and be the best player on the pitch in the premier league that doesn't happen you everyone has to put in everything all the time um, and you might have a day a day where you go i just don't want to get in the gym and that happens and then you've got to work with a player to try and understand where they're coming from and try and, and try and ease them into the environment but no i mean every single player would would put in everything otherwise they just wouldn't wouldn't have been there if you're someone who plays grassroots football regularly and you're training maybe once a week maybe twice a week playing once a week i'd say there's now an expectation that you are doing things individually outside away from your club's environment to to progress to get better fitter faster stronger any of those things um and like maybe that's just a result of like you know as a grown-ups you go you go from playing junior football to senior football and everyone develops at different rates and you realize okay if i want to be able to run faster it's not going to happen by itself i'm going to have to do exercises that allow me to get better at running um i wonder what you make of the idea that if you're going to play good a good standard of grassroots football it's now not enough that you just turn up to training and turn up to a match day. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on the level of grassroots and because grassroots has so many levels to it. I mean, the team we played for, like, you you don't have to be in incredible shape, but it's hard. It's really hard. Like, big, it was a full-size pitch, 90 minutes every week or every two weeks. When you get older, it's 27, 28, 29, you're not doing any exercise your body finds that incredibly demanding. So it, it also depends on how good you want to be. There's a lot of players that are technically really good and not that strong and fit, and that's fine. And they can just carry on playing. There might be a lot of players who, who, who are technically that good, make themselves incredible fitness, incredible condition, and they play really well. So it, there's so many factors to consider here. I mean, it's impossible to say, I make a, have like an umbrella statement on whether they do... Obviously, the more you do physically, you probably do better on the pitch, um, likely. It depends on the level. It depends on your level. Some players are just incredibly gifted and don't need to get in the gym. And I envy those players. <laughs> and me. And me. Um, what, what would you, if you were putting together a programme for someone who plays grassroots and they say they maybe don't, maybe they've got the motivation to to go to the gym themselves so they don't need you there for the sessions but if they said to you Ethan can you put me together a plan for 12 weeks that's going to help me become a better footballer and get better at the things that I need to do physically in order to be a good player what what would you what would you program for them well I mean the first thing you do when you get a new player is you do a needs analysis where you find out everything about them their availability their history their injury history what they want what they can do, when they need to get do it by. You need to find out all those things. Once you find out those things, I mean, again, it depends on on, on those aspects, but you usually do, a, uh, or I do from the from what I've learned from others is, is, a, is a well-rounded program, like using a number of exercises, a push exercise, 
which is like a bench press movement, a pull exercise, um, pull like a pull up or a horizontal pull or vertical pull, um, a hinge exercise, which is great for sort of hamstrings and posterior chain, glutes, lower back, um, a squat exercise, quads, glutes, and core work. That's the main strength element that I'd usually do. That would be split in the week. Again, everything is important. So all those things are important. Mobility is important. Fitness is important. Nutrition is important. Sleep. All those things are important. If you've got a player that can, you can only see for an hour a week, you have to prioritize based on what they need the most. If you've got a player that goes, I want to train with you six days a week. Uh, I've got loads of time. Can we train? Then you can just do an amazing program with everything. You can do a whole day of mobility. Well, it, it, it depends on time. If you've got an hour a week, you'd, you'd prioritize probably leg training because it's important when you're, when you're playing, to playing football, which is a majority lower body-based exercise. Um, so you do those aspects and then you'd obviously, it depends as well on what, on what they're doing in there with their other coaches, but you'd like to get some technical work in there. So you'd like to get some conditioning in. So it'd be those sort of strength element with a bit of conditioning. And if you've got an hour a week, you'd sort of squeeze that all into one hour. That would probably be the best to get the most out of players. That's, that's what, um, that was a sort of strength and conditioning we did at Crystal Palace, but over a longer period of time with a lot of power elements in and just in like different exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I learned from those, those, those great coaches there and I'd sort of try and get that week and condense it into one hour and that'd be the plan. So it's not, it's not just 5Ks, 10Ks. <laughs> That's my pet peeve. I think you touched the nerve there. When people say, oh, I, just, I do loads of 10Ks, I should be perfect. They're d- different energy systems different type of fitness they're good there's some research saying that they are good but you're missing out a massive massive element of what football fitness looks like um so don't just do 10ks and 5ks <laughs> yeah i think it's just the, the the specificity of football and I'm, like, I'm seeing it now with players who i'm doing one-to-ones with who for, for however long they might have been cycling loads they might have been running loads but then we do like maybe 60 seconds 90 seconds of uh, coming short to receive the ball, turning out, maybe a bit of ball carrying, and then like a longer pass, or maybe forwards to, to play a pass, back pedal to get them up in the air to jump for a header, and they are gassed. They need three, four minutes to recover. Um, and they can't yeah. believe it. Like they're, they're, they're stunned that, like, oh, I thought I was in good shape. I just ran a whatever sub 50 minute 10K. Is that, like, well, yeah, you probably, that you might well have done. That's, that's obviously mm. good. But, there's never going to be a time in a football match where someone's going to say, okay, off you go. And you just yeah. run and then you don't run anymore. Exactly. I think that the main question when people say to me, why is it not the same? Is you go, when have you ever run a 10K straight in a football match? Have you done that before? And usually 99% of the answer is no. Someone's always got a clever answer. But it's always no. And then you go, okay, well then why are you doing it as you're training? And obviously at grassroots, you, don't, you might not know how to do a, a football fitness session on your own. You might not be able to afford to hire a coach or you might not want to do one. So that's fine. I'm not saying everyone needs to do one, but the, the, when the, the misconception is that doing long distance running helps with football fitness because yeah, they're two different energy systems primarily. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think that's where I'm, I think you and I completely agree on that. And also like, I think it ties in nicely with like the, you know, the, the idea of specificity, it should, it should apply to everything, you know, like the, the way that you train should, as, as best as possible mimic and mimic what you're trying to do in in the game because ultimately it's about the game 
Yeah, like you mentioned, the, the another one of your interviews you've done saying everything you train should be game related. It's 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 similar in in in, fit, in, in strength and conditioning because obviously the gym isn't game related. So when would you? I remember who was it was it someone was it a Chelsea manager? I can't remember said. I, my players never squat on the pitch. I wouldn't make them do it at the gym. I can't remember where that quote came from. I might be wrong there, but that's a, a often I, I've heard. I hear that. Well, what I don't I don't need to do it on the pitch. So why would I do it at the gym? Because that just gets you ready. The stuff you do on the pitch that just allows your body to be able to do the stuff you want to do on the pitch, essentially. But then all the football fitness work you do, yeah, has to be game related. Unless you're just doing some tempo runs to get you to in preseason or to get you up to scratch. Everything else should be with a ball or with a teammate or football very, very random. If you're doing things that are planned and you do it once, you, you learn, you have a learning effect and then you, it affects the next time. And then when you go into a game, you've, it's completely random. And if you can't do a side shuffle and then sprint off and then do a slide tackle, what's the point of being able to do a side shuffle if you just do it over a ladder? It's got to be, a, it's got to be related to the, the unpredictable aspect of football. One of the things you you said it to me, I can't remember, we were in a session at some point, and you said, you, you said how, how many times in a football match are you standing on two feet? Yeah. It doesn't happen. Everything is on one leg, turning, sprinting, jumping. And ever since you said that, the way that I think about single leg exercises, or even the way that like, if I'm in a session with someone, I'll emphasise the fact that they need to be able to balance on one foot before they can even mm. think about doing anything else. Um, that, that has to be a foundation because of, because of the fact that when you're playing and when the game's going on, there's, there's, you're, you're not on two feet. Maybe when the ball goes out for a throw. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, there's a great coach, Mike Boyle. He's an old school coach and American guy. And he always, he's always emphasised how important split squats, Bulgarian split squats, unilateral training is to sport. Um, since then, it's gained a lot of traction. I think back, like bilateral work, there is a place for it, definitely. But, Unilateral work for me is so, so important because like you said, how often of the game are you standing on two feet? Even I used to always think maybe when you jump, you're jumping with two feet, but then you do it and you go, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm one foot's got more, I'm putting more weight onto one foot before I jump. I mean, biomechanics, I was always struggling with biomechanics. It's not really my area, but <laughs> the basics I think is that's, that's one aspect. Mm -hmm. Can you move off one foot? Can you massively change direction of one foot? Go from facing forwards to facing onto your right with one big push. Because if you can't, and you need to be able to do that in your game, it again, it depends. In grassroots, sometimes that will never happen because some of the players you're playing against can't move that fast either, so the game is incredibly slow. But at an elite level, you do have to be able to move incredibly fast. I was watching um, Spurs against Marine a few, uh, few days ago. You see that game? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. difference, The difference in their physical ability was insane. I was watching, I was like, this looks like massive, massive blokes against smaller people. And you go, no, they're the same. They're the same. They just want people to just incredibly elite athletes. And Sissoko had the ball once and just ran through about three people just with the ball by his feet. And they like slid in and he just jumped over them. I was like, that is, that's the difference. And that's what we're talking here about two entirely aspects of sport, grassroots. I mean, Marine is not grassroots, but lower levels, grassroots, and then the elite. You do have to train for two entirely different areas, essentially. Yeah. No, no question. That's pretty, say it again, sorry. You, play, you train for the demands. Yeah. For sure. And, that, and that's where, like, look, FA Cup is probably the, the most glaring example it's going to happen in terms of, like, yeah, you know, the keeper works in Sainsbury's. Yeah. The Spurs goalie is doing everything he can do all the time to be the best goalie possible. And he's being mm. paid to do it. Yeah. Like, 
yeah, I think I think the it's funny. I I, I don't know what you of 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 the we say like five areas. When I was talking to Josh, we said there are five areas: technical, tactical, physical, social, psychological. I feel like of the five areas, the like the the two that are I guess overlooked are probably the most important for me anyway in terms of someone's technical ability and someone's like physical ability like really really good athletes who are good technically will have their like physicality like be their like dominant description descriptive factor and their technical ability will be taken for granted similarly someone who's like a really like kevin de bruyne for example his technical ability will be talked about talked about talked about but like physically he's like as fast as all wingers he can make recovery runs in the same way that all really really physical central midfielders can um and with the marine game it's like spurs the spurs players are better at everything and not just better like so far superior that it's like it's unfair that they're on the same pitch <laughs> yeah definitely yeah but that's, that's yeah i get i guess that's the beauty of, of the fa cup but yeah for sure but yeah it, it is in a way yeah an advantage but then when you see the premier league players play each other you, you realize advantage is a lot slimmer yeah. um but yeah going back to what you said about the technical and speed a lot of times in training you might think do we want to get our technical players faster and fitter and stronger or do we want to make them better technically like do we do we make all their all their weaknesses up so they're all at one level do we just make their strengths super high and leave the weaknesses around here so that's also an interesting aspect like do you get your fastest players just get them even faster and make them just absolute machines or do you work on i don't know change the change the direction for example a weakness they might have mm. so that's also interesting i wonder whether how many SSC coaches just prioritize certain aspects of the players physical capability and just go with that and vice versa with, with technical coaches. That's more of a technical area as well. That's going to massively depend on who the coaches of the team are. At yeah. Point, isn't it? Like when, when we spoke, we spoke to Leah Williamson who plays for Arsenal in England and she was like, she's big on the, like making your strengths super strengths. She's like, I, okay. I'm a really good passer, but I want to, I want to know that every single time I get the ball, I can put the ball exactly where I want it. So, so mm. much of her work is on passing, even though that's already something she's really good at. And that's mm. not, I've no idea if she's neglecting other areas of her game, but that was something explicit that she said. Um, and, you know, that, and that's, look, she plays in a team with a coach who's big on passing and passing lines and angles and gaps and all that sort of stuff. Um, and she also plays in a team that has players who can do loads of things really really well so she doesn't she's rarely in situations where she has to make big recovery runs because they mm. have possession and they're controlling the game exactly and that and it completely depends on it, so many aspects and that's why i imagine players when players move clubs they it takes a while to adapt because there's so many aspects of their game that they now need to change or now need to work on or the managers ask them to work on something else mm. but yeah i think i think with the uh, snc as well working on superpowers is really really interesting concept do you just get a player who's fast and make them even faster and even stronger? I think that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting idea. Like uh, I imagine other sports, there'll be players that will be the, the fast players on the wing. I don't know much about rugby, but I imagine wingers, they just want to get faster and faster and faster. And do we do that? Does that start happening in football? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, how have you seen like warm-ups change? Like if you think about a match day warm-up, have the, I feel like, I don't know, whenever I'd watch a game, obviously now I'm not in a stadium, so you can't see it in the same way. They're not covered in the same way. But the things that players do to get, to get ready for a game on a match day varies club to club so, so much. Um, 
So yeah, I, I wonder what, what what experience have you had in terms of getting players ready for a match day? But then also, have you seen some of the exercises or things that players do to get ready change? I don't know how different they actually are from each other. These these um, Premier League or games on TV, the warm ups. I think they're probably more similar than we think. I think every warm up is a ramp warm up, R A M P. So you raise their temperature, activate, you sort of activate the muscles, mobilize, potentiate, mobilize the muscles, and then you get them ready for the game, for the, for the speed of the sport. Most warm ups, if not all of them, will have those aspects in. How you do that aspect is, is different for everyone. I mean, when I was working with some of the academy players at Palace, I'd often add games in, in training, and this is not match day, in training warm ups like a little mini game of Bulldog, for example, because it's a perfect way to raise, raise their heart rate, raise their temperature. Whereas on a, on a match, they would do jogs. So the, the, the essential the raising of the temperature and the heart rate is the same. It's just all trainers do it differently. Um, the idea with the warm-up is you do all those things and you hit every single, every single muscle group and make them essentially ready for what they're about to do on the pitch. They shouldn't be on the pitch not ready for what, to, to do a sprint or not ready to do a massive jump and then change direction. Um, the mental side of a warm-up is, is massively different for every single player. And it's up to the SNC coach to... Uh, the one at Crystal Palace, was, he was so good at, at getting all the players ready physically and then all in a good headspace. And then the players would obviously go away and do their, their, their mental prep on their own. And that might be having a swig of a Red Bull or having a laugh with the opposition teammate. Opposition player, sorry. It depends on everyone. The, the like, I used to always see videos of like Gary Neville in a in a in a tunnel before a match, and he just wouldn't look at any of the opposition players. Wouldn't look at them. Whereas you watch some players now have a massive high five with their international teammates, a big hug. Because for some people that gets them ready for the game. For some people it, it distract them. So as a coach, it's kind of like you make sure they're all physically ready, and then it depends on the philosophy. But do you allow them to do their own thing, or do you tell them what to do? I feel like most clubs now the players can sort of do what they want to mentally prepare themselves as long as it's not something irresponsible which it never is mm. but most warm-ups are probably going to be a similar similar style right yeah no I, I, from what I'm a Spurs fan I go to I was going to watch Spurs all the time and the way that I watched the warm-ups change when different managers were there um, yeah, I wasn't thinking, you know, when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, whatever, I wasn't thinking about RAMP in the same way. But, I, you, you know, now, now, that's, now that's in my head as a framework, that's definitely like something that you can look back on and say, OK, yeah, they definitely did that. Did they check, like, check this box, check this box? Yeah. The mental side of warming up is something that I have, like, all I have is my own experience and like coaching a group of players. There are certain things that I feel like if the players do, They'll start the game well, um, and they're and they're, and they're, yeah. I think you know a lot of this is about relationship between coach and players, right? Like it's only this year have certain players said to me like, "Oh, I really like it when we do this." So can we can we make sure that we include that? And yeah, and as a coach, you're just like, "Yeah, cool, whatever." Like it's not like I'm you know trying to fit in loads and loads of stuff. Um, and I guess that's different to where match day is different to warming up for a session. Um, but unless I guess unless a player feels like they can say that, like there's no way I would have known that that's that that exercise is something that they really that they really like. Yeah, and I think that comes down to the the absolute most important thing, from my experience and my perspective, as a coach, is to build a relationship with the player, that and build a relationship with other coaches. In my in my in my in my um, opinion, hands down, the most important thing about sport 
and as a coach is building a relationship with the players. And you, that you have to do that to understand what they want and what they need because you can have the most amazing plan of a warm-up and the most amazing SSC program. And if they don't want to do it or they don't, they don't work as hard as they can, then you're not going to get the adaptations you want. If they like you or, or they not even have to like you, they just have to respect you and respect where you're coming from, you're going to get little tidbits like you said a second ago. Oh, can we do this more? And you go, that's amazing. Like, I might have done six months of my program and not known that. And they might have said, I really hate doing this type of one, but really it, it makes me get out of my zone. Like, that's so important. I've, got, I've, had, I've had clients where they go, if I do this exercise, it makes me feel like shit. Can I not do it? And I go, yeah, fine, let's not do it because I love that exercise. But if you don't like it, then I have no idea why. I don't think you know why you don't like it, but that's important. Um, and yeah, and building relationships with other coaches because other coaches give you good pieces of advice like, oh, have you tried to do this with this player because they like that? Like when I was when I started at Palace, the other coaches there like, were so helpful and they'd say, oh, this player likes this. Um, this player likes this type of protein and he likes it when you put it in his locker. And it's like those things are massive, massive because you put a protein in a locker for a player. I know it's so small and as an intern, it's so small, but... On a bigger scale, for example, if you're a main SNC coach at a club and you know the routines of the players, like um, the main SNC coach at Palace would know which players come in first and watch which players want to do an extra piece of mobility beforehand. And he was so good at building relationships with the players. And they, they liked the gym sessions because of that. So that's massively important. In terms of like a pre-match warm-up, like you said a second ago, um, you've only learned from your experience. I think the same with me. Like I said, I'm still really early on in this course and I'm still learning. And I imagine there's probably a lot of research out there with pre-match warm-ups and the, the psychological side, but you can get a bit of a head start if you just say to them, what worked well for you? What do you like to do? And they go, I have to have my red ball 10 minutes before kickoff. I have to. And you go, okay, that's so, that's massive. And then you get a massive head start. Yeah, I think the... I guess that the extension of that would be okay. You've built you've built a relationship with your player. How to, to what extent are they now gonna respond to what you say, regardless of what it is that you're saying? So say someone no. So if say you were to go back to Palace, but you're there now in a sports psychology capacity, but you've got great relationships with players. Is that going to be enough for them to say, oh, okay, Ethan now does this? Could I'll, I'll listen to what he says and I'll do what he says because because I know him um, and I don't, I don't know the answer, you know, I, I, I'm, I guess, yeah, this is where there isn't really a question. Like I'm, I'm experiencing this at the moment myself. Like I'm a football coach, I'm qualified as a personal trainer. Like the information that I give someone has previously all been about like technical, tactical, um, physical, social, psychological, but I can now say to someone, Oh yeah. Like if you, if you, I don't know, figure out the, figure out something to do with nutrition. What's your, if you can figure out the, the food that you digest the best before a game, I know for a fact that's going to benefit you. Um, I, but, I'm, but more than anything, I'm relying on the fact that some of these players I've coached, this is my sixth season with them. Um, and yeah, it, like amidst all the stuff you've just said, I, 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 I take the relationship with players for granted regularly because I'm caught up in all this information that I've got in my head that's really important you know. I was doing a, a, research, a, a paper recently, an assessment. You basically, it's a sort of a hypothetical selling yourself as a psychologist to a sports club. And this is why psychologists are important. This is why you should need us. And one of the main um, aspects of the paper was talking about the barriers, the common barriers to a psychologist. 
And they, they did loads of qualitative research, which is basically just like loads of interviews. And they'd interview loads of in, um, important coaches pardon me, in sports clubs. And one of the main barriers was skepticism from the players. Like, I don't think this is going to work for me. And also that when they, come, they came in and pushed forward all their ideas, but without having a, um, a relationship with any of the staff or the players. And then everyone sort of went, this guy's doing too much. That was in the paper. And that was a quote from the paper. I, I, I should tell you the paper when I remember the name of it. I can't remember the name. <clears throat> but that is so important. Obviously, you have to know your staff. I can't just go in and say, um, I don't know, do some press-ups in the morning, you might feel good. Like, you have to know your staff as a psychologist. I'm still, I'm nowhere near there as a psychologist. You have to learn your staff. But having that relationship with the player means they will listen to you. Like I said earlier, with personal training clients, it's the same with athletes. <clears throat> from my experience and from others, it's not about how much you know, it's about how much you care about them. Josh has always said that to me as well before. And like, so many great coaches say that. It's not about how much you know, it's about how much you care about the player. If you have a conversation with a player and ask about their day and ask about their, their family and their etc., that's not just important to build a relationship, that's important because you want to do it. But also that allows them to go, okay, this guy cares about me, this guy, we have a, we have a relationship here, let's work together professionally. That's important. For me, it's not like, also, it's not just a tick box, oh, and now I ask about their day, I can just, it's, you do it because you want to know, which is massively important, otherwise you wouldn't be there every single day, you have to be interested. But then you do that and then you get the bit afterwards where they go, okay, what we're we working on today, let's do something. For me, that was massive.